0: My main passion has always been hang gliding since I was, you know, 20 years old. I love it. I I love giving everybody the, uh, the opportunity to learn how to live their dreams. And like I said before, teaching somebody to live their dreams and having them thank you is the greatest ever.
1: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode number 72, Doug Haber, Hang Gliding. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. We're doing something new today that we've never done before on the Adventure Sports Podcast. We're going to do a deep dive, and we want to do these periodically to uh, go deeper into some of the adventure sports that we know that people out there love and want to hear more about. So I have brought a guest that was on way back about three months ago to talk about hang gliding with us, Doug Haber was on the show and did a fantastic job before. He was an instructor for hang gliding um, in Nags Head near Kitty Hawk. He has coached over 40,000 flights, 8,000 students. He's been hang gliding for, oh, 20 plus years. And uh, currently Doug has a photography studio called Outer Banks Productions where he Um, Does photography and videos for weddings, for family portraits, for anything you want to do in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. That's where Doug is. So Doug has come back today to do the Adventure Sports Podcast's very first deep dive. And so instead of the standard questions, we're going to go deeper into things about the sport of hang gliding, equipment, more about training, more organizations, deeper experiences tips and tricks for the sport so if you want to know more about what hang gliding is all about this is going to be the show for you so doug welcome to the program
0: hey kurt thanks for having me back it's uh i I had no idea ever in my life i was going to be a deep dive pioneer Uh, it's it's quite an (laughs) honor
1: (laughs) well deep dive uh, i admit per the subject you know, that we're going to dive deeper into the subject matter. But with hang gliding, I'm not sure a deep dive is a good idea.
0: Only if you need to get down on the ground because there's some, uh, you know, bad weather coming. Uh, Sometimes you need to get on the ground immediately. So somebody who's starting out in the sport, let's not talk about deep dives.
1: (laughs) All right. So, Doug, get us into the sport. Hang gliding, if you will. Just describe what a typical flight is like from takeoff to soaring to landing, we want the guests to be able to to join you on the hang glider and know what it is.
0: All right, Kurt. Well, when I first got into this, um, it, it was just a fantasy. It was um, looking back in my, in my life, looking at my dreams about flying. So many people have dreams of flying. It's one of the oldest dreams in history. And thinking about being able to go from walking to flying – is such an amazing concept. Everybody sees it a little differently in their dreams, but, you know, in reality, when they finally get a chance to do it, the floating into the air and, and feeling no resistance, um, that is exactly what everyone feels in their dreams, and it's, it's amazing. I, I call it a real magic trick. It's like flying on a magic carpet. It's like... Uh, being on ice skates on the smoothest possible ice, on a skateboard with the smoothest possible wheels, on the smoothest possible blacktop, it is amazing. Um, sure, when you get into the sport, it can be you know there can be more turbulent air and bumps and things like that. but in its purest form, it's all about smooth. It's all about floating, It's about freedom, lack of friction, it, It's amazing.
1: You know, in your first interview, you pointed out to us that it was actually a very peaceful experience to be up there flying. And I think a lot of people think of hang gliding as kind of uh, an adrenaline sport, right? But you were saying, well, actually, that you get just the opposite out of it. You just get that, pers- that perfect, peaceful experience.
0: That's true. It, honestly, it's both. And it's both, and it depends on where you want to take it. I've been around the sport of hang gliding since 1993. I've seen a lot of people who wanted to get into it, get into the extreme side of things, do loops and aerobatics and speed gliding and go as fast as they can. And on the other side, I've seen people who just want to get up uh, in the air, fly for a half hour or so in smooth morning air or evening air. Never feel a bump, land on some wheels and, and just get up and pack it up and try it again next weekend. And so it, it's everything that you want to be, you know, either way. It can be smooth. It can be bumpy. And as you get educated, learn about the weather, the sites, the conditions, uh, it, it could be a mix of all of that. So I'm, I'm 20 years into the sport. I, I like a little bit of both. Sometimes I like it a little rowdy and exciting, and climbing up at thousands of feet per minute, and sometimes I like just going up to 2,000 feet and floating down as smooth as possible.
1: You know, I've never been hang gliding, but I keep imagining what it would be like to be holding the hang glider, to get some forward speed running on a hill or something, and then to kind of push the bar forward and put my weight onto it and feel it lift me off the ground, to feel my feet leaving the ground... Gaining that first bit of altitude and realizing I'm actually flying. I mean, is it like that?
0: It is now. There, there's an important uh, note in that in that statement that you made. You, you never want to run and push out on the bar to raise that nose um, to be safe. In, in the term, in, in the general sense of how do you launch a hang glider, but. What I used to do when I trained, and I, I trained for eight years and taught, you know, geez, 8,000 people how to do it, we would take people who really wanted to get into the sport, and we would have them run on a flat ground, no hill whatsoever, run and, and push the nose up, which, you know, you wouldn't want to do that off a mountain, but they would run and push the nose up and feel themselves lift off the ground And you'd see their feet dangling. It was always kind of humorous. And then they would come back down and maybe they get, you know, three to five feet off the ground. But the look on their face was always amazing. They were (laughs) stunned. It it blew their mind. I mean, I I taught people who were uh, airline pilots, jet fighter pilots in the military, some people who were bungee jumpers. So people have done some pretty cool stuff, and uh, they still thought that that was really the coolest thing they had ever done. So, time and time again, I, I ran into that. So, yeah, you, it's it's incredible to just run, raise that bar out there, and lift up a couple of feet and come back down, and wow, it's really neat.
1: Well, Doug, um, first question on our deep dive is about tips and tricks for the sport how to improve once you already know how to fly. And I know you have a ton of stuff here to talk about. Um, but for uh, people that have never flown before, this will give you a, a better feel for the tricks of the sport, the gear and all that sort of thing. For people who already fly, you might learn some things that will really improve your game. So tips and tricks for the sport.
0: Whenever you're talking about you know tips and tricks for a sport like hang gliding, you know, safety has to be paramount. Um, the most important topic to talk about when, when people are looking to improve the sport, uh, for them personally is some of that safety stuff, such as always be prepared never to fly, uh, on a given day. So for example, if you get to a site, maybe you've driven three or four hours to the site and you, you know, got to carry the glider up the mountain, And maybe it takes you an hour, you get there, and the wind starts to pick up. One of the most important things you want to do is make sure that if that wind speed is more than you can handle or if you think it's going to be more than you can handle, you always got to be prepared to say, I'm not going to fly, not today. And pack everything up and put your glider away and carry it back down and drive back home. And I've done it many times.
1: So, Doug, you know, you're talking about deciding not to fly, be prepared not to fly. We interview a lot of climbers, and one of the things that seems to be a common theme is they all say, don't get summit fever. It's okay to climb nine-tenths of a mountain and turn around. And matter of fact, Jeff Golden was on the show. He's with the Colorado Mountain Club, and he says, you know, when I hear people that say that they've never been turned around on a 14er... Then I know that I'm talking to someone who really isn't a very good climber And then I've talked to some of the climbers that have summited the seven summits You know, they've done Denali in the wintertime, that sort of thing And, and they say, oh no, 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 I turn around all the time And that's why I'm here to talk about how much fun climbing is And uh, so I get that, you know, be prepared not to fly and uh, then you say the longer you fly, the more likely you might be to have an accident of some sort. And I was it reminded me of a skydiver that we interviewed who has thousands of jumps. And his statement was, I am always telling other people to check my gear. And he says, I have a reputation for that. The, it, almost like people make fun of him because he's been diving for so long. But he always has someone else check every piece of his gear before he jumps out of a plane. So That's brilliant. Yeah, it sounds to me like you're headed down that same path with hang gliding.
0: Without a doubt. Um, sure, experience is amazing. If you were talking about a chef uh, and they were cooking, you know, if they've been cooking for 30 years, uh, there's a great chance that their their food is going to be the best. Um, with a sport like hang gliding, the more you do it, the more you're opening yourself up for an opportunity to have an accident. Um, the sport is generally done extremely safely. The equipment is amazing. The training has improved tremendously. There's so many things that have improved, but each new person that comes in a sport, yes, they get to yield some of the benefits of, of all those improvements, but they're still a new individual in the sport. and They start off, they're extremely safe and careful because they don't want to get hurt. Then they figure things out And they start flying well, and then a lot of them get into a situation called intermediate syndrome uh, or advanced syndrome. I'm not sure if that's actually technically uh, out there, but it should be because uh, uh, no matter what level you're at, as you do this, the more um, you're exposing yourself to to the air, you have a greater chance of having an accident just because of basic statistics. So you need to be a little more careful the longer you do this.
1: So is there a, an element of familiarity as well? It's like, oh, yeah, I've done this over and over and over again, and so people get sloppy?
0: Without a doubt. It's huge, and I've observed it. And in in the sport of hang gliding, there's uh, there's kind of the uh, – you know, I don't know how to explain it. There's, there's the group of people who will go ahead and uh, – kind of just go along with that and then there's the other group of people who will step back and say hey you guys are getting a little cocky you're maybe going to set yourself up for failure and have an accident and i've always been one of those guys um because to be honest with you i don't like going to funerals i like to see people enjoy the sport and when i've seen uh people in a situation where they were getting ready to do something silly or 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 You know, dangerous, or you know, even times when I've been in that situation, I have. uh, People have stopped me; I've stopped them, and uh, so there's there's a nice, tight knit community of people watching everybody, and that helps out a lot too. I'm sure it's saved all kinds of accidents over the years. And you know, the 30 years of hang gliding.
1: Well, hey, take us through what it's like to do a your pre flight check. You're you're getting ready to go. What are you looking at?
0: Okay. Well, there's a few things uh, that you have to do. I like to personally do my pre-flight out loud. Uh, like you were speaking about, uh, your skydiver who likes to have other people uh, look at his equipment, that's incredibly intelligent. I really respect that guy. I'd like you to give him a call and tell him I said, great job. Uh, that's the way you stay safe. Uh, when you rely on yourself 100%, I think you're cheating yourself. So with a pre-flight, okay, and we're going to assume that we're getting ready to launch off of a mountain. So there's a little advanced flying. You're either at what they call the Hang 2 or Hang 3 level. Uh, there's four total levels. Uh, you start off as a Hang 1. But uh, at that level, you want to get up on launch, and we want to make sure a few things are really in place. You want to make sure that you're hooked into the hang glider. Uh, you have a steel carabiner with a, a very strong um, webbing uh, that's connected to your harness. And that carabiner is um, extremely strong. I think about 8,000 pounds of force. Uh, it's, you're never going to get to that point. And it has a locking device. It has a gate. Just like in climbing, you can spin the gate and tighten it. And lock yourself in. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people fly off of a mountain with their gate opened uh, or unlocked. I've seen videos of people where they were at literally, the gate was open and they were literally hanging halfway from the, you know, the gate was halfway on the strap. Um, they're oh. very for- fortunate that it they didn't turn into a fatality. Uh, amazing. I actually saw a training video once that had that in that
2: let's talk car racks, specifically Yakima and Thule. Chances are, if you're listening to our show, you either have one, want one, or you're going to need a car rack soon. Car racks, whether on the roof or on the back, need a good set of locks to keep your gear locked down to the rack and to your car. Good news. Our new sponsor, Z-Lock, has new lock sets for all Thule and Yakima racks at about one third less than anywhere else. These lock cores are sourced from the original manufacturer and include bonus keys. Need replacement keys or cores matched to your current lock code? Z-Lock has replacement options even if you've lost all of your keys and don't know your key number. Check this out. Z-Lock is offering Adventure Sports Podcast listeners an additional 20% off their already low prices plus free shipping. Just enter the code ADVENTURE at checkout and you'll save up to 50% off a of retail. Go to zlock.com forward slash adventure, that's z-e-l-o-c-k dot com forward slash adventure and save. The Bearline Plus by 180TAC is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bear Line Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other Bear Lines. Not only does the Bear Line Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs, including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bear Line Plus at 180TAC.com or retailers near you.
0: So you want to make sure that you're locked in. So I call out. I say I'm in my um, harness. I'm in my carabiner. Uh, it's locked. I look up at the and I you know at the system and I grab it with my hand and I physically shake it and check it and and uh, I call that out. After that, I want to make sure that my helmet is secured. Uh, I prefer uh, a full face helmet. Uh, I like flying in an open face helmet where it's just like a shell on your head. It's a lot more fun that way, but a full face helmet will protect your face a lot better. And you want to make sure that that, you know, strap is, is connected and secured. Uh, yes, they can come off. And if they do come off, it's because the force was strong enough that it might hurt your neck. So that's actually a built in safety design. Um, So you want to make sure that's connected. And then what a lot of people don't know, Kurt, is hang gliding pilots uh, of modern day fly with parachutes. We keep a parachute mounted to our chest in a special pocket with a Velcro enclosure. Uh, That parachute has pins to lock everything in securely because you don't want it to open up while you're flying because that could actually cause an accident. And those pins need to be in there, and there's a handle that you would grab and pull that parachute if you had a catastrophic event with your hang glider. Uh, so we want to make sure all that stuff is is you know in good shape. The pins have to be in, so I call that out. The parachute has to be connected to your carabiner. So picture this: you have the parachute on your chest in your harness. There's – at by your hips, there's a webbing cable that's connected to the parachute and the swivel, and that goes up towards the uh, carabiner, which is connecting you up to the top of the hang glider. Well, I know a story of a pilot that launched, flew, broke his glider. It was, uh, it was a very unusual situation. He was on a racing glider, uh, very thin cables. Uh, doing aerobatics. This is not something that most people would ever experience. It was just a bad accident. But uh, his parachute cable was not connected to the carabiner. So when he threw the parachute, uh, once the wing broke, the parachute just blew away. Oh, no. he, uh, he, He maple leafed down into the ground and landed in the only safe spot where there was some, some, it was like marshy area and some stumps and, uh, he didn't hit a stump. He just landed in the mud and, and he was fine and he had some problems, but, um, yeah. So you want to make sure that that parachute is connected to your carabiner. And I even like to take and connect the parachute and the carabiner and my harness, I'd put a quick link in there and connect all three of those devices. So just a little extra piece of protection.
1: So is the idea that when your parachute is deployed, your uh, hang glider is going to come down on the chute with you?
0: The way it works is the uh, parachute in the ideal situation, and, it, it, and they're extremely reliable, and it's not very common at all for somebody to have to throw it. But the parachute has a very long bridle, so but let's just, let me just take you through a situation. I'm flying, I look over, and I see that one of my cables is about ready to break. Uh, maybe I missed something in the pre-flight. I was in a rush to get in the air, and next thing you know, snap. The cable breaks and my wing starts to lift up towards the air and I cannot control the glider. First thing I do is look down at my parachute. I grab the handle. I pull the handle, which takes the parachute out of the container on my harness. I look to where I want to throw it to make sure it's clean air. I throw the parachute bag there's a long bridle, that parachute opens, it has a swivel to work with, you know, twisting. And then I climb up into the triangle control frame of the hang glider. And as we start to descend, I try to do everything I can to make sure that the hang glider hits the ground first. Uh, you're still coming down rather fast and, you know, breaking a, an arm or a leg or a neck I guess could be possible but uh, generally people land uh they usually allow the wing of the glider the good wing to hit the ground first it cushions the shock and at that point they can um you know have a smaller impact um it's not very common but when it's uh when it happens and somebody does have a successful you know um deployment boy it's great cuz they get to fly again
1: yeah, you know, I did not know that you guys used parachutes, and it makes me feel even better about the sport. That's pretty cool.
0: It, it is. And in the beginning, the uh, the parachutes were um, – I mean they didn't use them. And uh, the the guy who first did a hang glider, I think he was a French man, uh, uh, he did a loop in a hang glider and, and looped around for the first time in history. He didn't have a parachute. So if he didn't do that right – oh. He was, he was done, but it worked out, uh, and then they started using uh, ex-military parachutes, which were um, you know, surplus and cheap and available, uh, but their descent rates were incredibly fast, uh, and there was a company called High Energy Sports, uh, which was on the cutting edge, and uh, they took the parachute technology to the next level, made the ra- descent rates slower. And wow, we got some great stuff out there now for keeping people safe. So it's they. I think they figured out as best as they could right now. It's awesome.
1: Okay, so let's talk about landing. Um, You're talking about safety. I imagine landing is a is a real, I I guess an exclamation point of the flight might be one way to say it. What do you do to make sure that you land right?
0: Well, when you're landing, when you first learn to land. You're learning in, and, and this is with all training and hang gliding. You're always learning in smooth, you know, calm conditions. Um, here on the outer banks, uh, we have a lot of wind. We have a lot of turbulent air. Uh, but they have some hills that are, have shallow slopes. So here we do it a little differently. Uh, you can, you can learn on your first flight in, you know, 15, 20 mile per hour wind. Um, but at some point between then and the time that you want to become a rated pilot, you're going to have to learn to fly in calm conditions. Um, typically, throughout the country, uh, in the non-coastal sites, you will be able to uh, go to a, a, a small slope. Uh, you'll be there first thing in the morning before there's any heating and thermal activity or uh, bubbles of air lifting up, turbulence, and the wind will be blowing two or three miles an hour. So you're going to have to run, you know, a pretty good speed, and you're going to want to be able to get in that air uh, with the speed that you've generated from your legs. Once you've gotten into the air, you have to think about landing. The biggest mistake I found, you know, from 40,000 flights was that people like to fly slow because it keeps them higher in the air. When you do that, it means that you're going to be higher when it's time to land. And you say, well, when is it time to land? And basically, it's when the glider runs out of enough energy or forward momentum. And at some point, we've all seen the the coyote and the roadrunner. At some point, the energy runs out and you drop
1: and the coyote and, drops.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and ideally you want to be in a situation where you're actually in control of that timing, uh knowing how high you are off the ground and how much forward momentum you have. And what we do to land is we push the control frame forward which raises the nose of the glider and brings us into a what they call a flare and we kind of parachute down with a little friction. And you want to do that a couple feet off the ground. Well, when you're coming in uh, for a landing in the mountains, uh, you're going to start off, you know, say a 1,000 feet. There's some patterns that you want to do uh, to get into the right position. You have to take in the wind speed, the wind direction. There's a lot going on there. I can't actually describe all that. But what we know at that point, for all landings from altitude is that you're going to come in and as you descend from, say, a 1,000 feet to ground level, you're going to go through what's called a wind gradient. And the wind gradient is a difference in wind speeds at different levels. Hmm. We're always assuming, yes, it, it, it's amazing, we're always assuming at the higher level the wind's going to be a little faster and at the ground level, it's going to be a little slower because of friction uh, of the wind moving on the ground. And so when that happens, as you come in for landing, you want to make sure that you have more airspeed, which is really simple. You just pull the bar in and lower the nose, and that gives you that airspeed. So you might feel like you're moving along the ground faster But the glider, if it hits a bump or if you have to make a turn, has enough speed to react and you can, you know, you can manipulate the glider. If you don't have any speed, you stall and you try to make a move and the glider says, no, I I can't do anything. I'm just a falling object, you know, a controlled falling object, but we don't have any control now. And then you drop. So you need that speed. you got to come in fast and at uh, 20 years of flying, coming in as fast as I possibly can has never been a problem. I guess there could be an exception to that. Maybe you could tone it down a little, but I like coming in fast or what I like to call hot.
1: It seems a little bit counterintuitive because if you're going fast, the ground's rushing by. I mean, everyone wants to think, oh, i got to slow down. This is really going to hurt. But what you're saying is you're going to slow down at the very, very end when you're right above the ground.
0: That, that's right, and I have seen people who have come in you know, on a very high-performance glider, as I mean 50, 60 miles an hour. Now, these are guys, and they're messing around, but come in at 50, 60 miles an hour, inches off the ground, and they, the gliders were so advanced, and they were actually able to raise the nose, go up into the air, make a huge 180-degree turn. Turn around, come back, and land. Uh, so think about that. Uh, it's not the smartest thing in the world to do, but think about it. They were inches off the ground, and they had the speed, and they were literally able to do just about anything to control the glider the way they wanted. So speed
1: is king. Gotcha. Interesting. Well, any other tips or tricks for us about flying the glider?
0: The most important thing is to relax and look ahead. And it's such a cliche. When I started at Kitty Hawk Heights in 1994 as an instructor, they had these great shirts. It said, in big, bold, block lettering, relax, look ahead. It was very important for us to get that out to our students. excuse me. Um, you wanted to have everybody to relax and look Straight ahead. Now, the idea of relaxing means that your arms are down, your hands are loose, your shoulder, your neck is loose. And when it says look ahead, that means that you are actually physically using your eyes to look at the place that you want to go. So it's actually a simple statement, relax, look ahead, but it actually means a lot of stuff. And when we would have a student that had tight arms, tight grips, tight elbows, and was looking down at the ground, we, we knew every time that they were going to have a hard time flying. So it was really important for us to spend every ounce of effort that we could to get them to get those arms down, loosen that hands, loosen those hands up, and look where they were going. Um, in competitions, we have a competition called the Hang Gliding Spectacular, And we go around cones and there's turns and it's really complex. Uh, If you want to land in the center of that uh, landing zone uh, to get the most points, you literally, when you're making your turns, you need to turn your head and look at that center landing zone. And that's the secret of how you want to land there. So it's, it's an incredibly simple idea, but it means the world.
1: Come celebrate with us August 10th through 16th as more than 100 youth from over 12 countries from around the globe travel to the Vail Valley for the 14th annual World Youth Fly Fishing Championships. We are proud to host this Olympic-style event and to showcase the Colorado free-flowing rivers and scenic beauty for all the global competitors. You can help by volunteering to be a part of the event. For more information, Go to www.wyffc2015.com or just search for World Youth Fly Fishing Championship 2015. We hope to see you there.
2: This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www180 tackcom
0: You got to learn the weather. Um, in 1993, I didn't know the difference between a, a cumulus cloud and a, a, you know, cirrus cloud. I had no idea. I read a book uh, by one of my heroes. His name is Dennis Pagan. He's a, a hang gliding pioneer. He writes books uh, about hang gliding and weather. And he had a tip in there. It said that the hang gliding pilot that learned the weather. The best would get the most airtime. Well, that, you know, was great because when you first start flying, you might take a lesson and you might get a total of 30 seconds of airtime on your first lesson, you know, for a hundred (laughs) bucks. So, so, um, I, I want to increase that exponentially. And, uh, you know, I probably have 2000 plus hours now at this point, but, um, so I started learning about the weather and you have to learn about scheme that the 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 micro or the uh local meteorology the regular meteorology and the micrometeorology which is the the small weather your basic local area once you figure that out boy you can really get yourself to fly at the right time you can avoid going to places at the wrong time really good idea so you got to learn the weather and um I guess the, the final thing is uh when you're launching you have to make sure that you keep the nose down. Now this argument and uh or conversation I should say has been going on for a very long time. When you launch a hang glider, the wind is coming towards you. You wanna launch the hang glider into the wind and create enough airflow over that wing so the wing creates some lift and you you know climb up into the air well most pilots that i've seen in 20 years do not keep the nose at the lower angle they keep them a little higher i think it's because of laziness or simply because they just can't tell my theory is run and run and run and keep the bar in and keep that nose down until the last minute and then slowly let the nose rise up Letting that bar out until the glider lifts you off the ground, not till you push out and make it lift, lift you off the ground. And you're going to have a safe launch. And, uh, it's a very complicated topic. There, there's a lot there. If you launch off a cliff, you have different angles of attack. It gets a little complicated, but generally speaking, you want to launch with the nose down and you want to have somebody videotape you and you want to have somebody analyze that videotape because what you think you're doing, And what is actually happening and what you'll see on that video will set the truth free. And that's how you make sure that you have a safe, solid launch because you could blow it and you could have a problem.
1: Yeah. You know, it must take a lot of experience to get a feel for that angle. I have flown private planes a little bit and actually did a simulator in F-15 last weekend, which was a lot of fun. But the hardest part for me was getting a good feel for if my nose was up or my nose was down. Because it it's a different sort of a dynamic than we experience when we're walking, you know.
0: Well, that that's a great point, and i i've uh, I've taken I got about ten hours with stick time uh, training, fine and ultralights and uh, and some planes. Um, the beautiful thing about hang gliding, and this is one of the the most awesome parts about it, is that. Hang gliders are designed to give you physical feedback on where your nose angle is. So in my training, thinking back to when I was an instructor, wow, I had some, some great experiences where I could actually show people. I used to use simulators and I would, I would put a, a hang glider together and let it kind of pivot and hang from a strap. And I would put bungee cords uh, on the front of the control bar and then on the back. And I would hang them in the harness and, and put them in a situation where they were basically, you know, flying. Um, the body position was the same, the harness, everything was the same. And what I taught them was to find the neutral position. And it's not as prominent on an airplane, but, but there's a neutral position on your stick. Um, but basically what that is, is when you have your hands on the bar that you steer with, you can let go, and that bar, if the glider's set up properly, will just stay in the perfect position that the glider has been balanced to. Now, obviously, that position can be wrong. Uh, if your hang point is, is different, there's a lot of factors there. But in the ideal situation, you let go of the bar, it stays there. If you pull that bar in one inch and hold it, you're going to feel some pressure, okay? And that's called bar pressure. That is your key to understanding how to keep that nose down. If you don't feel any bar pressure, your nose is too high. And the beautiful thing on hang gliders is when you're flying them, and I've been in some challenging situations flying along the sand dunes, and and I've had that bar pulled in Almost all the way. And because the wind switched, I felt zero bar pressure. I knew that even though I was loaded to the ground, I needed to pull that bar in to get that nose down. And I did that. And then I got the speed that I needed and I was able to turn. I didn't crash. And so everything is feeling with your fingertips. And I spent so much time over eight years teaching people What does it mean to pull in one inch? Now, Kurt, this is a great story. I actually used to take a a broken down tube that I would keep with me, uh, which is a a part of the glider. And I I would grab my students and say, hold this bar. And they would hold it with their two arms. I would put my hands out to the side and hold it also. And I would say, go ahead and pull in one inch because that's what I tell them when we were running. Pull in one inch. Um, they would do that, and almost ninety percent of the time, I don't care who they were, they would pull in too much—three, four inches—and right. that means they they crash. So, so I would say, okay, let's try it again. But I'm going to do it. You pull, you know, I'll pull in one inch, and you feel it. So they would do that, and they would see. The movement, and they'd say, Wow, that's really not a lot. And I say, Yeah, but you want to pull it in and hold it. So I would kind of calibrate them to that bar pressure. And once they would figure that out, that was the end of it. They had a great lesson every time. So subtle movements, being able to understand where the nose is by feel in hand gliding is the way to get through this and, and do well.
1: Hmm. Good tips. I you know the more you talk about it the more I want to get out there and and fly one with you it just sounds awesome I
0: love it you know the um it, it teaching people how to hang glide and having people give me hugs shaking my hand give me tips uh you know money tips uh was and saying you know thank you so much for making my dreams come true I dreamed of this my whole life I can't tell you, Kurt, how many times, probably, you know, I taught to 8,000 people, thousands, you know, three, four, 5,000 people, you know, acknowledged that and said, thank you so much. Look me straight in the eye. Um, it, 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 teaching hang gliding to people really made a difference in my life. I experienced some wonderful gratification through that. It, it was powerful.
1: Neat. That's cool stuff, man. Well, let's move on for people that have been hang gliding for a little while, but maybe they need some resources. Um, Are there organizations, clubs, or businesses that you would recommend for people to get in touch with so that they can advance themselves in the sport?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, When I first started... There was a hang gliding organization called the USHGA, which was the United States Hang Gliding Association. Um, since then, over the 20 years, uh, the organization has changed and it's currently the United States Hang Gliding Paragliding Association uh, because they've added paragliding, which is uh, another form of free flight. Uh and it's, you know, it's slightly different. It's it's not my style. I've tried it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, actually, a little more freer uh, feeling flying than a hang glider. But I kind of like having the metal in my hand and a little more control. But they're the guys that you want uh, to contact um, to get more information if you want to find a school, if you want to find a club. And their website is ush. P as in Paul, A, dot arrow. A-E-R-O. And they can lead you to a club and a school in your area. Uh, what a lot of people don't know, Kurt, is that hang gliding can be done on flat ground. People have no idea what's happened in the last 10 years, 15 years. Uh, hang gliders are now towed up by ultralights.
2: Okay. Uh, they're...
0: They're, yep, they do it on flat ground, and they tow them up at 2,000 feet. They try to put them under a thermal, or what some people know as a, an, an updraft, and they let them stay in the air for sometimes hours. When they get really good, they can travel 30, 40, 50, 200, 300, 400, 500 miles, just because the air is rising throughout the day. So you don't need a mountain anymore, and so I encourage everybody to contact the USHPA dot arrow um, uh, organization and get in touch with them and say, "Hey, where can I find a school or a club?" And you know, get into this definitely.
1: So I'm in Colorado. You're at sea level. It's a question I've often thought about. You have to have more airspeed when the air is thin to get the same amount of lift. So does that really impact the way that the sport is performed? Only
0: if you're looking at an instrument. The glider is still going to give you the same feedback on bar um, pressure. So when you're flying at a higher altitude, that's correct. That's a a great question. Uh, Didn't expect it, but – yeah, uh, when you pull that bar in, if you feel pressure, you have the right airspeed. If you don't, uh you're you're gang ready to stall. So people who are flying in Colorado, um, you know, I, I guess uh, telluride is in Colorado, right? Oh yeah. Uh that yeah, that's uh that's a famous site. Very high. These guys launch off there, I think almost ten thousand feet above sea level. Um they're already up there really high. In fact, if they get a couple thousand feet above launch, they're going to need some oxygen uh, to, to be able to not get hypoxic. So uh, these guys are launching and flying in these conditions. They might set their or instruments to accommodate for that. Uh, but if they were looking at basic instruments uh, about wind speed, th- those instrument readings might be wrong because of that altitude. So – in all cases you got to go with bar speed or bar pressure and uh and how that relates to airspeed.
1: so doug we always ask for our guests to tell us funny stories because we think that humor is just you know it's part of the reason why we do adventure sports in the first place is so that we have great stories to tell but anyway i'm sure you have some unique funny stories so throw a couple our way
0: oh kurt man uh, 20 years of doing this it you know, there's so much content. I, I you know, thinking back, um, boy, I got a couple of funny ones. I'll, g- I'll I'll give you one or two. Um, many years ago, when I first got into the sport of hang gliding, I had been introduced to some hang gliding pioneers because uh, Kitty Hawk Kites down here on the Outer Banks has an award system, and they give out the uh, Francis Regalo Award uh to hang gliding pioneers. So I got to meet every one of these guys. And I'm talking about guys who invented certain kind of hang gliders, who invented hang gliding gear, some really cool
1: guys. So these are the bed sheet and duct tape guys.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I have a friend called his name is Terry Sweeney and uh he this guy was flying uh bamboo and, uh, plastic sheeting and duct tape gliders. Uh, he made a glider called the BFG, which is one of the world's biggest hang gliders. Uh, if you think about it, the BFG, I'll just let you use your imagination. It could go either way, but the, it's the BFG and G is glider and B is big. So (laughs) it's a, it's a, it's an amazing thing, but, um, These guys inspired me, so I always wanted to do something really kind of nutty and crazy with hang gliding, but, you know, not get hurt. So one day I took out uh, a large, a really large, I have no idea what size it was, but it was huge. You could cover a trailer with it, a mobile home with it. It was a big green tarp, and I took it out onto the sand dunes, I hit some spikes into the ground, and... And nailed it into the ground and the wind was blowing, oh wow, uh, 20, 25 miles per hour. And I, I launched my hang glider and I had a bunch of students lift up that tarp and maybe a couple instructors and lift up that tarp and, and create an updraft so I could maybe soar that, uh, you know, tarp for, you know, a few seconds. And, uh, somebody snapped a picture and sent it to hang gliding magazine and, it made it in there, and I—I I think I'm not positive, but I think I'm the first person to actually soar, meaning floating above without any additional energy, not going down, maintaining a certain level because of the air blowing against an object and being in the right position. I think I'm the first person to do that, but it was—it was, it was just hysterical.
1: So tarp soaring—you're using the tarp to create a wind tunnel to fly in,
0: right? Anyone who's ever gone to the beach has seen the seagulls flying along the beach and soaring or right. just, you know, without their wings flapping and they're not going down. They're obviously getting a free ride. They, they do it in front of a dune, they do it in front of a hotel and they're, they're, Exploiting the air pushing up. We can't see this air going up unless it's a foggy day and you're, you know, a little geeky like me and you would actually walk to the side of the building and look and watch it go up at night. But (laughs) it's, uh, it's an amazing thing and that, but either way that air is going up and birds can soar it and hang gliders can do it. We, we soar dunes, we soar buildings and I soar tarps. Um, and I did it I did it again a couple of years later we we put a little more structure into the tarp we put a bar in there had a couple stronger people it was a little more organized uh, we got a, a somebody to tow us up with a rope and and uh, I got placed right in the perfect position. I think I got you know 30 40, 50 seconds out of it and the wind wasn't the perfect day. I think I could sort indefinitely. And I have a good friend who's a, a hang gliding pioneer who says that he would like to do the same thing on a um, a shipping boat. And and on the front of the boat, he would have a, an angle built into the boat. And as the boat went across the ocean, no matter what the wind was doing, he would be able to stay soaring over a certain spot indefinitely until he crossed the ocean to england
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so a big giant spoiler on the front of a ship
0: exactly it's a spoiler (laughs) exactly and it just pushes up the air goes up and anywhere the air goes up like that a hang glider can exploit it uh, as long as it's smooth enough
1: well right on Well, Doug, I know that uh, you did an awful lot of hang glider instructing in in the past years, but in current times, you are a wedding photographer. And so how did you make that transition? And tell us a little bit about your business.
0: Oh, Kurt, you know, my main passion has always been hang gliding since I was, you know, 20 years old. I love it. I I love giving everybody the... uh, the opportunity to learn how to live their dreams. And like I said before, teaching somebody to live their dreams and having them thank you is the greatest ever. So as you get older and you know, you can't do that forever because you don't make a lot of money teaching head gliding. You got to move on. So I wanted to do something uh, with just as much passion. Um, when I was very young, I was exposed to photography my sister, who I love so much, she had a dark room, and uh, she was into photography. It was black and white film photography. Had the dark room, she had actually learned from my father, who was you know you know an amateur and and really into it. Um, she introduced me to that. Then she went to college. Well, when she went to college, I got to use the dark room. And I got to learn photography. And she taught me everything she knew. Well, over time, it turns out that um, it, it got very expensive to maintain that. And I wanted to still be involved in the visual arts because I'm an artist. And uh, I decided I was going to get into video. Uh, Videotapes were cheaper. Uh, I could rewind and watch them immediately. And that's how I got into video. And I kept photography on the back shelf. Well, over the years, um, I started my hang gliding, or excuse me, not my hang gliding company, but I started my company, Outer Banks Productions, as a videography company. And I filmed weddings because I was an expert at that. Um, I saw the market was changing. I saw that there was a, more of a call for photography, so I got back into photography, learned digital photography. I taught my wife how to shoot digital photography and, and she's my star player now. I mean, she's teaching me things, you know, after 11 years. And, um, so we got back into it and it's been wonderful. We've had so much, uh, you know, just incredible energy over the years, having customers say, thank you for catching, you know, catching this moment or that moment. Um, it's almost been kinda of like the Hank Lighting experience where people are thanking us for our hard work. And I think anybody who has a job and they have an opportunity to get thanked for the hard work, it's really rewarding. So that that's how we got into it and it was uh it was a natural progression.
1: I did go to your website and look at some of the examples of your photography, and I have to say it's just gorgeous. I never really knew that you could just take a a family and make them look just so alive and capture their joy and, and you can see the love in their eyes. It's it's amazing to me. Um, I've seen a lot of wedding photography over the years, obviously, and a lot of it is just flat. I'll just say it, it looks flat, but people need to go to your website because I think you're doing something unique here.
0: Well, Kurt, that's awesome. And if I could just spend a second on that, um, The website is Outer Banks with an S Productions, another S dot com, uh, for our wedding photography. We also have a family portrait site, which is great in case some of these adventurous people are coming to the Outer Banks and that is Outer Banks Family Portraits dot com. And both of those sites link to each other. So if you can't find one, you just look up, you Google Outer Banks Productions on Google and you'll find us and everything's cross-linked. But um, one of the things that we do is we spend a lot of time learning about our clients, figuring out you know what type of personalities they have. And then once we have them, we have the certain weather that day, the lighting that day, and we try to maximize that and you know make it so this family with the certain lighting that day at that time and the wind speed and all that is going to be maximized and since we've been doing it for 11 years we have so much experience we try to put people in the right spot sometimes we'll even ask to move people to different locations because the uh the weather has changed or um the lighting is going to be different maybe there's too much clouds or not enough clouds and we're experts in all those categories a lot of uh, my hang gliding experience and weather experience has helped me you wouldn't believe how much that's helped what we've done is basically put people in the best possible situation then we take the shots we take multiple shots to make sure everybody's eyes are opened and then we spend a lot of time in post production uh, working all of the different the highlights and the contrast and the saturation, the colors and the white balance and making sure everything's just right. And then we deliver the images to the customer on disk. And at that point, they're in love with the work, uh, just like everybody. But it's a long process. There's a lot. It's more than just pushing a button.
1: Well, I was going to say, you know, you said you're into visual arts, that you're an artist, and I believe it. I have looked at your pictures, and it's not flat photography. I mean, you really are doing something to push the industry, to push the art form. Well, Doug, thank you very much for your time today, and thank you for taking us deeper into hang gliding. I learned a ton from this, and I'm sure that our guest will as, as well. So it's been a fun ride. We really appreciate it.
0: Hey, Kurt, I really appreciate it, and I just want to end the whole thing with one last thing. Make sure... If you want to go hang gliding, to seek out the best instructor possible, uh, interview them, ask them about their history, find out about, you know, ask them about bad things that have happened, find out where they have gone with the sport, and then just make sure that you're always ready to say, today's not a good day to fly, maybe I'll try another day. And that's it.
1: Hey, good words. And for all of our guests out there, until next time, get out there and have some fun.